Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Eastern Approaches. We are at episode number 17 already. I can't hardly believe it, but maybe I can. Um, this is Andrew Valone from Savor the Experience Tours. You can find me at savortheexperiencetours.com. See, I made it easy for everyone to, to find out where I am. Or you could also find us on the Eastern Approaches podcast on Facebook. Facebook, Eastern Approaches, you will find us there. Uh, today, we're going to talk a couple of things on our docket. We're going to be talking about wish lists, places that we want to go or play, perhaps places we've been but want to go and see more of. But first, Ben's going to start out with something interesting, something different that I don't think we've really talked on so much at all is dark tourism. Yeah, ben, dark what is dark tourism? <laughs> dark tourism can only be uttered in that exact voice. Um, Hi, everybody. Yes, Ben Curtis here. You can find me at SeymourLipschitz.com. No, I didn't want to make it complex. I just, my website is also my name, BenjaminCurtis.me. Thank you for tuning in again to Eastern Approaches. So what is dark tourism? Okay. Um, this is something I'm kind of into because I like things that are dark and creepy and spooky. And dark tourism broadly conceived is visiting places or sites on the planet that are connected in some way to some darker aspect of history or culture um, or you know some events or something like that right so what am i talking about right it can definitely be like actual historical events like if you go to the Hiroshima Memorial in Japan, I mean, that is technically dark tourism or, you know, anything sort of war stuff can be kind of dark. I mean, the Pearl Harbor Memorial in Hawaii, that can also be dark tourism. You know, it doesn't have to be like you're there to glorify the, the death or destruction because it can be like, you know, memorial and remembering a dark period, but that's one thing. Um, great examples of dark tourism is if you've ever been to Père Lachaise Cemetery in Paris or Highgate Cemetery in London, the Central Central Friedhof, the Central Cemetery in Vienna, to see like the grave sites, not only the famous people like the composers in Vienna or Jim Morrison in Paris or whatever, you know, Marx in London, but just the atmosphere of these cemeteries. Uh, that's dark tourism. I love that kind of stuff. I love that spooky stuff. Um, if you've been to Lenin's tomb, in Moscow, like that's also dark tourism because besides the fact that, you know, he was a dictator who had literally blood on his hands, but it's also, he's now a mummy, he's a corpse. And if that ain't dark, I don't know what is it. People like venerate and his tomb is this ziggurat thing, sort of like a temple. So if that ain't dark, I don't know what is. But then even something like the Anne Frank house in Amsterdam is kind of dark tourism, right? Because it's a very dark period of history but by connecting to it and going to the Anne Frank house, you can learn something. So that's, you know, kind of a really big picture. And then we'll talk about some uh, dark tours and places that we've been to. I'm, I've obviously, because I'm into it, I've been to a bit more places than, than Andrew. But in this part of the world that we like, that we love, there's a lot of really interesting dark sites. And um, 
you can go there. I mean, I encourage you to go there because you can also learn a lot, right? I mean, again, it's not just about voyeurism per se. It's like here's a chance to learn something. Um, and I'll just mention one of my absolute top dark tourism experiences ever. And this actually is one of my top travel experiences ever, which um, I don't know, Andrew, you might, you might roll your eyes at this from something you said just before we started recording, but my day trip to Chernobyl, which I did a few years ago, totally blew me away. Why is it dark? Well, I think probably everybody knows. I mean, an enormous cost in human lives, uh, a classic example of, a, of a, an authoritarian regime covering up and, you, and just expending humans, you know, literally kind of throwing them into the fires in a certain sense. Um, and, and it laid waste to like a society in some ways. And as you know, even I think Gorbachev said that Chernobyl maybe did more to bring down the Soviet Union than any other event. But it was so fascinating to me to go and see the this deserted, empty city that was right there, Pripyat, right by the Chernobyl reactor. Um, to see how nature has taken over again, to see how so much of it is just like frozen in time from the late Soviet period. You know, you go in and you see like school desks that kids just had to leave immediately. And there's like school books around and there might even just be dolls that kids just left behind. And that is incredibly poignant. But then hearing the stories of all the people who worked to kind of put out the fires and the disaster at the reactor itself, all the firemen who gave their lives that's like really moving. And it's a story which is now a bit more known in the West since that uh, HBO series on Chernobyl came out. But, um, but it's really, really powerful. Um, and the one other thing I'll say about this Chernobyl experience, which totally blew me away and is a kind of dark tourism, is out there is also this gigantic like uh, radio, radar tracking device that the Soviets built to essentially track any potential incoming intercontinental ballistic missiles that the U.S. would fire at them. And it's this huge thing, which is probably, I don't know, 100-some feet high, and it stretches for hundreds of feet through the forest there in Ukraine, and now abandoned, now not working. And I just love that because like the pyramids or like the Colosseum, that giant radar installation was this relic of a fallen empire. And that kind of uh, dark tourism really stoked my imagination, and it made, made the whole Chernobyl visit just so um, like uh, atmospheric and instructive and really, really amazing. So Chernobyl was an amazing um, dark tourism experience for me. You know, Ben, I would think up until a couple of years ago, I, I, when I saw all these, hey, do the Chernobyl day trip from Kiev kind of stuff, I was like, are you effing kidding me? Um, but I think, I think my opinion has changed a little bit because if nothing, there's a group of people and which you're not in because you're interested in all this history and you know all this history and you want to kind of, you know, get know more of it and kind of go to the places where important things happened like like Chernobyl, but there's a group of people, and I'm going to generalize here, more younger people that probably aren't going to give two shits about Chernobyl mm -hmm. if they don't have this kind of experience. I mean, they're not going to be like, oh, Chernobyl, it's in the Ukraine, and I know what happened, blah, 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 blah. Even some of the people who probably saw the 
the HBO miniseries, which I would recommend to anyone. I think it's the best thing I've seen in, in years um, and really moving and has a really good message. But some people aren't just going to get drawn into that. So if you're if you're in Kiev and you want to do something different or something, wow, I can't wait to tell everyone on social media what I did. It's like, OK, you, you, you no matter what you get out of it, you're going to learn something about what happened there, which is probably a lot more than you already know. So in some ways, I could say I think that's good. And, and I also feel like I suppose there's nothing really to exploit in Chernobyl since there's no one there or that's my impression mm. that there's no one there because I wouldn't want to be like, oh, yeah, let's go to this village that had got, you know, all these horrible things happened to it 35 years ago. And there's still people living there, but we're going to like take the Instagram selfies and show like, hey, mm -hmm. we're Chernobyl. And I guess that doesn't exist. So that makes it a little easier for me to say like, OK, yeah, you can you can go there because certainly. I'm more interested in it now after watching that 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 miniseries because I learned I learned so much and I I saw how it was how it more connects to everything else uh, regarding the Soviet Union and and the and the collapse of the Soviet Union. So I, I'm I think there's I think I I still kind of look at a lot of dark tourism as hmm if that's the reason you're going somewhere you know like I I think I I could have some issues I, I think. In some places like like Sarajevo, we've both been there many times. I think most people go are aren't going to Sarajevo just for let's say the '90s war stuff. But if you're but I but I know from talking with people who who work there that they do get there is a limit that they're they don't want to engage just everything mm -hmm. about the war like because there's all the history before the '90s war and in history of what's going on and how people are living today. Um, so I'm always a little hesitant to just get focused in on let's go somewhere because of this, you know, be, because of some dark tourism or because of this one horrible thing that happened there. Of course, Sarajevo was was more than one because you have beginning of First World War and and yeah. kind of the epicenter of the '90s war. Uh, and and certainly, if you go there, you should learn about those two things. And maybe it's a question of like how you learn about it or what's your motivation to go and learn about it uh -huh. to experience it is maybe what I what that's like my question uh, on for dark tourism yeah that's that's fair right I definitely I mean anywhere there's going to be uh I won't mince words like morons who go there for their to get their Instagram kick or something like that and you know fewer actually no Chernobyl probably gets more but <clears throat> I'm you know it's horrible to say it but I'm Actually, I know this is true because I've seen it. You get those idiots who are doing the Instagram moment at the Arbeit macht frei sign in Auschwitz, right? The work will make you free sign. And, and like, they got to get that on their Instagram. So those those people are going to be in any site, unfortunately. But just because, you know, those idiots also go there doesn't mean that more thoughtful travelers should stay away or something like that. Um but yeah, the the possibility of of exploitation is is real, but I think it's kind of there, like everywhere. Maybe it's just more potentially more offensive at some dark tourism destinations. Yeah, one thing I would say is that I I, I kind of wish people would go to see, especially people who travel a lot. Like if people who travel a lot, whatever age, let's just say they're they're in our generation. Um, Gen X or or older, and they've traveled a lot, and they haven't been to a place like Auschwitz. Um, 
I think they really should because at some point I think like, okay, yeah, you can't, everything can't just be like, oh, here's this harmless history, which, you know, of Kings and medieval this and, and Roman history and all this stuff, which doesn't really af affect us that we, we can't really relate to so much. I think something like Auschwitz is, is worth seeing because I think you, you need, you, you need to know more than just like, yeah, it happened. And if you travel a lot, I, I, I think a place like that, um, of course, not to get the Instagram uh, photo uh, with the uh, oh, um, work makes free sign. But I think there's, I think that, you know, when I'm talking with people who've traveled a lot, I think everyone should have experienced something like that so they could have a reflect better on it. Um, and that, that's, that's what I think a, a place like Auschwitz or any of the death camps is definitely more of a dark tourism than a lot of cemeteries. I guess I haven't been to the cemeteries you've been to, but like mm. if you go to the Mary Cemetery in Romania, well, that's like artsy and, 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 and quite funny and ironic. Um, uh, or some of these cemeteries I go to like in Zagreb or Lviv, um, mm -hmm. I mean, they're almost like parks and they're, you know, you can go there and get a good, good kind of sense of history of the place, but they're not really kind of spooky places. They're not, let's say, gothic. They're not the, you know, they're not for the bat cave types that I grew up with listening to Bauhaus and the Cure. Um, uh, so those, I don't, those, I think just because it's uh, something's a cemetery, I'm like, it doesn't necessarily mean it's dark tourism, uh, at least the cemeteries hmm. I've been to, because they don't seem very dark. <laughs> Interesting. Um, okay, well, let me, I'll, I'm going to mention another couple dark tourism highlights um, from my travels, and one which is maybe more benign than some of the others we've just been talking about is the Sedlets Ossuary here, not that far from Prague. So this place is about an hour east-ish of Prague. It's right by the town of Kutnahora, which is a, the famous medieval silver mining town. And Sedlets is known for its bone church, which you've never, if you've never heard of this, you may have seen pictures of it. You might recognize it if you saw pictures because it's there's this church which is decorated throughout with skeletons. Uh, supposedly there's something like 40,000 to 70,000 people whose bones have been like artistically arranged in this chapel. Like, and I'm talking like bones that make up a chandelier, right? Um, bones that are making monstrances by the the chapel uh altar you know coat of arms uh, made out of bones and then there's just like skulls everywhere and this is total halloween material right like uh super creepy super spooky um maybe you know i mean my dad was a doctor and he would say you know it's just human it's a human body why why be freaked out about this okay yeah maybe like you can go there and walk amidst all these skulls in a church and think yeah look at that it's just biology but most of us are going to go wow that's super inventive and super weird so if you've never heard of the sedlets ossuary in the czech republic uh check that out sometime there's other ossuaries kind of like this but this one is like mind-blowingly freaky yeah I've, I've been there before and it definitely has more it has more bone i was gonna say body count but i'll just go with bone count then mm. there's one in rome i know i've been to mm -hmm. that's that's like maybe it's not to the extreme as the uh, sedlik ossuary is and i believe the one the sedlik one you're talking about that was all plague victims if i'm not mistaken um 
Uh, I don't actually. Oh. It, it was I think over over decades that they centuries oh, maybe. Okay. So it might be multiple uh, reasons for people who died there. Yeah, that's yeah. Th those those I find interesting. I have to say, like for me, the okay, yes, Auschwitz stays with you longer. But the place that I that been the, the that I've been to that is got the okay. I'm glad. Like I saw this and now I kind of want to rinse it from my mind. Is is torture museums? Because when mm -hmm. I first came to Europe, like 20 years ago, I was like, I've never been to a torture museum. And I think I went to like a couple, two or three in Italy. One was in San Gimignano. And it's like, yeah, now, now I just notice them everywhere you go. There's always some kind of torture museum. It's like, yeah, I just like, I just don't need to think about, it. I don't need to look mm -hmm. and be like, yeah, okay. They were, wow. How creative were they? I mean, obviously like, you know, you got, you come out going, man, if I could only get the guillotine or be hung, uh, hung by the neck until dead, like those would definitely be the ways to go out. Cause everything else there, it was like really, really, uh, bad. And I think I think before it was more like oh this is kind of amusing interesting w wonder what people were thinking back then and now I'm now that I'm older I'm just like Eesh, uh, yeah I'll, I just want to avoid those things I'd, I'd rather see the skeletons because that's more you know it's like you know skeletons if you stick them in a Tim Burton movie or whatever you know they can be kind of more zany and fun and and whatever they're they're part of like a Mexican the day of the dead culture mm -hmm. things like that they're a little bit more like okay it's kind of creepy but not not too creepy and hey everyone dies everyone has bones so might as well be creative and make something out of them I guess mm -hmm. yeah totally and I mean that's I think that was part of the motivation for the people who did this is you know that's the the Latin phrase memento mori like to remind us of our deaths that we are mortal and uh eventually uh we all end up as just bones and that contemplation of our own mortality arguably uh has some worth um maybe as we're all finding in a delightful uh, pandemic experience um now can we can we go there and kind of sign ourselves up for like hey can I, like the, yeah. like you know i want to be part of the next round of chandeliers or like mm -hmm. i really like like this is the town I'm from. Can I get on the next coat of arms? You know, and just you know, sign it like the organ donations or whatever. Exactly. I want to be turned into a xylophone. I don't know. <laughs> um, okay, so another uh, top dark tourism sites from our part of the world, which I also loved, and I can't remember Andrew if you've been here, but that's Buzluja in Bulgaria, which, again, to people who've never heard of this, this is this mountaintop building which kind of looked like a flying saucer that was built by the bulgarian communist regime i think late 70s i want to say and now it's just abandoned and slowly moldering but besides the just bizarreness of this like giant concrete flying saucer on the mountaintop um the inside totally knocked my socks off and when I was there, it's been a few years ago, uh, it's like it wasn't open for tourism, right? Like there's nobody there looking after it. There's no entrance fee. It's literally just kind of abandoned. Like the when the communist regime fell, kind of the subsequent regime just turned its back on this thing. And so you had to get in there by standing on kind of a concrete block and then like crawling through a hole in the wall. Then once you get in there, this place was built to be like a kind of um, – uh, what's the term, like a, a gathering hall, like a ceremonial gathering hall for Bulgarian communists. And the murals and mosaics in there 
are just priceless examples of socialist realism. You know, there's Marx, there's Lenin in all their red glory, all this now totally kind of hackneyed imagery of the happy workers and the productive farmers and look we're we're building socialism look at this our strong biceps are going to make the five-year plan come true and all of this like really a pretty impressive art is there just slowly crumbling and that's like reminder of again a fallen regime but then on top of that you just add the weirdness of the architecture and the inventiveness of the art is to me, like one of the coolest sites in Bulgaria, dark tourism or no dark tourism, but it does happen to be dark tourism. And uh, totally recommend that to anybody who goes to Bulgaria to check Buzuluja out. Yes, I have not been there. I, I think we talked about it in one of our first episodes. Mm-hmm. I'd, 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 I'd like to, to go there, but when you, uh, slightly off topic, but when you were talking about the, um, who's the who's who of mosaics in that place, um, Some place I'm sure you've been to, and many guests have been to. Have you ever gone inside the Saint Martin's Church at Lake Bled in Slovenia? Yeah, it's been it's been a while though. I said oh, I can't remember who's in there. Uh, well, you know, it's it, it's the dominating church next to the lake, but it's not very old. I think it's less than it's you know it's like a hundred years old. So you know, all things considered, you know, a lot of people just oh nice church, pass it by. But what's interesting is the frescoes in there were all done in the 1930s and. Mm-hmm. There's, I think it's a Last Supper. It's, um, yes, it is a Last Supper. And guess who's, guess who is playing Judas in the Last Supper? None other than Vladimir Lenin. Oh, nice. Because okay. I went in there and I was like, you know, like I went in there twice in the span of a month and I was like, God, that guy looks like Lenin. Well, that's maybe just me. And then I was like, no. And then I talked to, I mentioned it to some guests and they're like, yeah, he does. And I'm like, cause these are newer frescoes. So it could have been someone after Lenin was dead, putting Lenin into the fresco. And sure enough, yes, it is, it is Lenin. So um, huh. the, the, that's, those are always interesting things like the, who, 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 what the representations are of these people or where you can find them at still. Yeah, totally. Uh, I mean, that uh, sounds sort of a Dante-esque uh, treatment of Lenin. He, he he doesn't actually make it to hell in those frescoes, but he's he's condemned like Judas uh, right there by by having I don't know taking the role of Judas in the frescoes. That that seems somehow appropriate, I guess, to a certain mindset. Yeah, yeah. Um, one one thing that I will throw in there too on this dark tourism thing, and you know why I kind of when you brought this up originally. I had more of a negative reaction, not to talking about it, but just like the whole idea of doing something that's considered dark tourism is I remember, and I don't know who it was, I met, I think it was friends of mine in Poland, probably. I got a couple of good friends in Warsaw, but someone had mentioned before that some Israelis come to Poland and they basically do a death camp tour. That's all they do is see, uh. all they do is see sites. And I was actually staying at a youth hostel in Krakow and I met some father who, who had his two sons or his two kids with them. And that's just what they were doing. And I thought, you know, like I, I, I said just on this podcast, like, yes, I think everyone should go to an Auschwitz or a Birkenau or someplace. Although like for me, you go to see one and, and that's really enough because I think if you don't get the, the message from that, then I don't know, uh-huh. seeing more won't help it. To like, hey, Poland, that's just the home of death camps. Poland is just death camps. It makes no sense to me. And it also is something that I know a lot of Polish people are are, are tired of, of like people saying, oh, these 
Polish death camps. So they're in Poland, but they weren't Polish. You spend a week just go. I mean, I could see if your parents or your relatives were were interned or killed at one of these places you go, but then just to go all of them, it's like that's that's your impression of Poland now. It's just it's the home of the death camps. Just as like yikes. Uh, that's that's not what I would want to do with my kids. Yeah, I agree. That's that's pretty troubling, especially if you don't see any any, any other aspects of Poland beyond the death camps. And I mean. That's somewhat controversial, like Poland's somewhat, it's definitely controversial to uh, the topic of Poland's relationship to the death camps. And, you know, my understanding is the current uh, right wing regime in Poland says we didn't have anything to do with them, which is is quite problematic, given the fact that there's centuries of anti-Semitism in Poland. But we don't have to get into that right now. But, yeah, like if you're if you're so dark tourisming in that, like, yeah, forget Krakow Main Square, we're spending all our time out at Auschwitz, I, I'll just say those are not my priorities. Um, and, you know, I've been to uh, a number of death camps and concentration camps, and I like I agree with you that I think everyone should visit at least one in your life. And, um, and I would make an argument that it can be worth seeing more than one, right? Like I take tour groups to the concentration camp of Terezin, north of Prague, which is not a death camp, even though people did die there, but it was primarily a concentration camp for uh, the Czechoslovakia at that time, Jewish population, primarily Prague Jews all got sent there before many of them got sent off to death camps. And that's, it's very depressing, but it's also in some ways uplifting in a weird way, because the community there, Terezin, they produced amazing like art um, they tried to have a life while they were there kept in captivity and as painful and sad as it is, it's, it is also beautiful. It just like to see the artistic products, the, the creative ways that these people who were interned there tried to understand their own suffering and their own experiences. So I think you can, you can learn from that kind of stuff. And, and I, and of course you can learn from that, but I think there's, there is some variety. Like I also one time took students to Srebrenica in, in Bosnia, where the um, Serbian extremists killed uh, about 8,000 Bosnian men and boys uh, over the space of like a few days um, uh, in the nineties. And that's utterly, utterly brutal, right? Like we are all just wiped out after that day. Um, but I guess I would make an argument that if you are in a location that has something like that, some truly dark tourist site like that, um, I think it's worth doing. I think it's worth actually going your way to go out to go out there. In part because, okay, sure, you mean you just want your your son and fun holiday or something like that. Uh, okay, I guess maybe you're entitled to that, and you know, different strokes for different folks, but. Uh, Visiting somewhere like Srebrenica, like Auschwitz, like Terezin, Jasenovac is a was a concentration camp in Croatia during World War II. Um, it is almost maybe like the Sedlets also, where it's a chance to kind of contemplate the dark sides of of human life and human nature, and hopefully by contemplating uh, that suffering and the atrocities that it inspires us to 
work for justice in the present time because of course there's still concentration camps right i mean people still be they're being put in cages and that kind of thing so i don't know i guess i the in some ways i think there's kind of um a not a, a duty but a really strong kind of more argument to actually explore the dark places even if you are on an otherwise a vacation you perhaps don't have to go so far as to only doing the concentration camps but including them i think makes sense yeah i mean i certainly for 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 things that i'm interested in history wise i would you know i would go to mutthausen because that's mm -hmm. that seems relevant to being in slovenia and it's close by and i would go there and serve in Nitsa. i would also go because i you know been to bosnia enough and i know that the history and that's not you know that's also kind of a different timeline of the concentration death camps of the second world war so i would see both i would just ask people i think if you if you went to one of those death camps or concentration camps that that would be no matter what you read or no matter what movies you see i think it's just it's gonna still be quite different when you go there and if if everyone who travels in europe at least went to one of those i think they would uh, they'd gain some some perspective mm -hmm. uh, on things yep and so then the last dark tourism site i'll mention um from our part of the world it's actually a place i have not yet been but i want to go and i tried to go there this past summer and didn't make it um and that is the nazi underground city known as project riese riese means giant in uh, in german and this is in southwest Poland, what's now Silesia, kind of south of the city of Wrocław, uh, not even that far from the Czech border, actually. And there's a couple sites down there where you have these big underground, like, installations that the Nazis built into mountainsides and hillsides. Um, nobody knows exactly what these things were for, like, what all were the Nazis going to do with them? Because my recollection is a lot of the plans were subsequently destroyed by the Nazis, I think, as the war ended. Um, but there's some speculation that they, they were going to be built as like the last stand for Hitler or something like that. But one of the reasons these tunnels in, in Poland have become famous, as you might have seen in the news in the last couple of years, uh, there's a belief by some that the Nazi gold train is down there somewhere, right? Like this is the myth that a train carrying loads of gold that the Nazis had looted or accumulated somewhere sort of disappeared somewhere towards the end of the war. And some people think that that train is probably in some still hidden tunnel in these Owl Mountains down there in Southwest Poland. So it's possible to visit some of these these sites. It's not easy to get to, which is why I failed when I was there in the summer. Is the because of the pandemic, the bus connections and stuff had just really stopped. But especially if you have your own car, you can go and visit them. You know, they do take tourists. You can go on tours of one or two or three if you're super into this kind of stuff. But um, again, with all that, like all the typical, uh, I don't know what, like mythology that tends to surround the Nazis and, you know, the, some of the freaky supernatural stuff that they believed in. Like there's that Nazi idea of the Wunderwaffe, the, the, 
wonder weapon that they were going to come up with that would, would destroy their enemies. Like maybe the Wunderwaffe was being constructed down here in these in these Project Lisa tunnels, something like that. So all the kind of myths and stories, and then again, just seeing the incredible resources that this regime uh, directed to building these tunnels, which then obviously the whole thing fell apart. And again, a fallen empire. It uh, again, sounds to me like, wow, that stokes my imagination. I would love to go check it out and see what it's all about sometimes. So on the dark tourism wish list for me is Project Riese in Southwest Poland. Oh, sign me up for that. That one sounds that one sounds quite interesting. And I have read those stories in the last few years about the Nazi lost Nazi gold train. And quite honestly, for all those listening that are also a Hollywood script writer, there's yeah. there's such there's such a good e should be easy movie uh, script to write there uh, with that because you can kind of take Treasure of the Sierra Madre, you can take Good, mm. Bad, the Ugly. There's so many things you could take and be like, okay, we're gonna kind of redo that a little bit. And then we're going to place it here. And then you got the World War II angle to it. I mean, that would be that would have that would have been like a fantastic movie to have in like the late 60s when they were making The Great Escape, when you could have had like Steve McQueen and Charles Bronson and all and all those guys in like a, another like World War II kind of adventure movie. Um, so that's that sounds that sounds good to me. Uh, but I'd actually I'd go I'd go visit it if they don't make a movie out of it. I'd go I'd try to go visit it as well. Um, uh, I like the movie idea and, and any. Uh... Hollywood types who are listening, Andrew and I are happy to serve as executive producers for $5 million each. So just get in touch. Yes, exactly. And uh, yeah, just go to the Facebook page for a podcast <laughs> and, uh, and we'll, talk, we'll talk more about it. Okay, let's get on to something maybe a little more positive than all this dark tourism. And that's kind of looking, looking hopefully more in the near future of where we would like to go, kind of wish list, which we do from time to time on the show. Um, uh, and, uh, well, I'm hoping that when you listen to this episode, that, uh, the, the following episode will, will, will be me and Ben talking live from a certain country in the Balkans, which I haven't been to, but I should be there soon. Uh, so, uh, that was going to be on my wish list, but since I think I'll be there, uh, quite soon for the next episode, I won't go into that. So my wish list, Ben, uh, just for, for something I've been thinking about in the last six months or so when we're, you know, just reading travel books and figuring out where we like to go is not some place I haven't been, but some places I'd like to go back and see more mm. of. And that's the Golden Ring area of a region uh, around Moscow in, in Russia. Uh, it's these quite a few different towns and cities. I've been to more towns, but I know there's also cities that make up, I think, five different oblasts uh, outside of Moscow that seem to be, you know, seem to take you back in like a time machine to more 17th, 18th and 19th century Russia and a little less, a little less of the concrete uh, social realism, Stalinism kind of structures. Um, I was there almost 20 years ago with my wife and I went to Suzdal and Vladimir mm -hmm. and Bogolubova, which is just a church kind of in this Kind of along a little river in between the two towns and those places really were like wow because i'd always i'd been to pretty much just big russian cities before and those were something you know quite different and amazing and uh for those of you who have seen some of my wife's art she paints some of these places um so i i kind of want to I, I haven't been to russia in quite some time and i want to get back to to more to see more of the golden ring i think there's there's yaroslav and 
Kostroma and Sergeyev uh, Posad. And I think some of these are a little bit bigger than the, the cities that I, or the towns that I went to. Um, but I'm just, I, I'm kind of curious. It's like I, like I spent a lot of time, my, my first two or three years traveling in Russia, and then I haven't been back. So I kind of want to go see some things, you know, kind of see more of what I saw before. Um, and also because, well, uh, especially when you can go, if you can go travel in Russia with, with friends or family, that makes things a lot easier to get around. There's a church that's got 22 onion domes. And then I'm thinking maybe this is someplace you've been to north of St. Petersburg called Kiji Pogost or Pogost. Um, you probably have seen pictures of it on a Lonely Planet book or some Instagram thing. It's one of these wooden churches with all the, with, this one has 22 uh, onion domes on it. Um, that's like a, you know, in Russia, it doesn't, it's like, oh, it's outside of St. Petersburg. And, but then when it senses Russia, it's like, well, it's probably 20 hours on a train. Um, <laughs> uh, but, um, and there's probably a limited window, which you can go there because otherwise you're just going to freeze your butt off. Um, but those are a couple of places that I'd like to get back to in the not too distant future. Um, uh, and, for me, just going back to Russia will be kind of a thing. But since I'm there, and since I still have to go through the hassle of getting a visa and all that, mm -hmm. I figured I might as well, like, that's always my thing. Like, well, if I go back to visit some family and see some like St. Petersburg, which I want to visit again, I need to see a few other things that I haven't seen because, you know, just, just, just the visa is going to be a couple hundred bucks and whatever kind of paperwork to do. So those are kind of my, my part of my wish list for, for this year or next. That makes sense. And I think of the Golden Ring sites. I think I've only been to maybe Suzdal, as I recall. So, but, and it's, yeah, I get it's popular. Lots of people kind of do that. It's a greatest hit, I think, when you're around Moscow. But so tell me this in, in your experience, having visited the Golden Ring places before, is it not like diminishing returns? Like, okay, here's, here's one Orthodox monastery, and then tomorrow it's a whole other one. Or do you actually find them? each different enough or charming enough in their own way that you can actually make happily spend several days visiting those places? Well, if I'm just going to see the monasteries, yeah, probably will, I will get monasteried out after, you know, well, since I haven't seen a Russian monastery in a while, maybe I'll get through mm. two or three, but Suzdal is, it's, it, it, it is really the atmosphere. And I don't know, because I'm guessing Suzdal is probably on the small side of these, of uh, most of the rest of the Golden Ring that are on kind of the kind of route that people go either as a day trip or on a mm. cruise or whatever, mm -hmm. like a two day circuit. It's probably smaller, but, but that's what I want. Like, like, if Suzdal or some of these other places were in a country I visited a lot, you know, more frequently, you know, like a Romania or a Bosnia or whatever, it'd probably be a lot easier to, to, to see them. Uh, whereas in Russia, it just seems more difficult or things are spread out more or God forbid, I really don't want to get in a car and drive there mm. to see them. So I really like the, you know, cause I really, I like the small towns and the towns that, that are, that are quiet and, 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 and things like that, that have this kind of, whatever that that do seem like you've gone in a time warp a couple hundred years back or whatever and it's been 20 years so i don't know in the last 20 years obviously tourism tourism's mushroomed and even in russia i'm sure it's it's gone through the roof so i'm not really sure are these places going to now just have a bunch of like you know bric-a-brac um tchotchke uh magnets mm. and stuff like that like oh okay you're not on the tour bus but we're you know like we're still set up for that kind of stuff and 
or is it going to be authentic like it, it seemed like it was 20 years ago? And I, I don't know where we stayed, but you know, when you have a Russian speaking uh, wife to take you around, you, you know, and no booking com or whatever, you just find a little mm. place for whatever cheap amount of rubles and stay in. And it's, you know, it's like, oh, this is great. I mean, this is, you know, a, a good enough. Uh, and you just kind of poke around and you have no agenda. I don't think we had maps or anything. We just kind of said, let's spend three or four days in these places and kind of just do DIY it. So, mm. yeah, I don't know. See, I don't know if it's going to, if it's going to be all touristified and have that charm lost, but I'm not really going there just for the monasteries. They're nice okay. to like, Hey, I got this photo and then there's the domes in the back or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not, you know, I'm not going there to light a candle in each monastery because I would okay. Be yeah, there's more to it than that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, one one way that I will guess I would even place money on this that they have changed uh, since last time you were there. I bet uh, some of these small golden ring towns now all have Chinese restaurants uh, <laughs> because I've seen Chinese restaurants crop up in some extremely unlikely places because there's now coach loads of Chinese tourists visiting them. So hey, not that it's a bad thing necessarily, but uh, but um, it can be I'll surprising. Tell, yeah, I tell you what, Ben, I won't curse those places if they actually serve good Chinese food because mm -hmm. that's still that's still like not easy to find anywhere in Europe. So, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yeah. Well, and by but, by the time I get to the third or fourth Golden Ring town, I'm gonna be like, okay, yes, okay, thank you for the borscht. I've had enough. Yeah. Like, I love Bermini, but yes, I've had enough. It's like, okay, uh, whatever. Look, we're going Chinese. Exactly. <laughs> we're going Chinese well, today. It's it's time for some uh, General Tso's chicken, or maybe uh, in Russian we'll make it Marshal Konyevov's chicken. I don't know, I'm trying to make a, a Russian history reference. Um, okay, so my wish list, I sort of thought for some reason about festivals, and um, one place and festival that I have never been to that I should have been to, given my interests, is the town of Bayreuth in Bavaria and its famous Bayreuth festival. Because if you don't know who celebrated the Bayreuth festival, yeah, my friends, it is the great composer Richard Wagner. And I don't want you to think because I was earlier talking about Nazis and I mentioned Wagner that I'm a Nazi because I'm definitely not. But I do like Wagner's music a lot. I wrote partially about him for my doctoral dissertation. And yet I've never been to Bayreuth and I've never been to the Bayreuth festival where they do Wagner's operas in the opera house that was built just for Wagner's operas, right? So it's a kind of temple. Yes, Wagner was an odious personality, but he was a great artist, in my opinion. And the chance to see some, hear and see some Wagner in this theater that he really helped design and that has unique acoustics and where they, some of Germany's greatest and Europe's really greatest operatic talents come i would love to do the bayreuth festival someday so we'll have to spend up because i don't think it's cheap um and who knows when they'll get it back up and running again after the pandemic but i hope that some summer you will find me on the on the green hill as it's known where the theater is uh, spending a full afternoon listening to some five-hour wagner opera and just rocking out so the bayreuth festival someday for me uh, very high on my wish list now ben will you be arriving in like a 1970s vietnam war era helicopter mm. maybe 
possibly. Yeah, I'll definitely be wearing a helmet with wings on it. That much I can guarantee you. Okay, super. Yeah, exactly. Because that's got to, you know, that completes that completes the Wagram picture for mm -hmm. me. You know? <laughs> exactly. Uh, um, so is it, and it's every year they have, I mean, non-pandemic aside, it's uh, an mm -hmm. every year thing they have? Yep, normally. I, I don't even, I suppose World War II was the last time it was interrupted. But yeah, since, since the... Uh, last years of Wagner's life this thing has been has been running and even his family not surprisingly tend to uh, play a big role in it and I, I don't know what it was his grandson who was a, a major force creative force there now I think it's his what would she be his great great granddaughter I think is uh, Katarina Wagner if I'm remembering correctly is is one of the star directors it's like star operatic directors in Germany so so yeah good stuff for opera nerds yeah, you know, one thing we haven't, uh, I'm glad you, you threw this one in there, because I don't really think we've, in any of our discussions, uh, like Nazi stuff aside, we haven't really talked about Germany, and Germany is definitely Central Europe, um, and obviously I think in the case that some of, the, at least for a while, you, 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 you had uh, 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 East Germany was was you know always lumped in with the rest of the you know for obvious reasons the, the Eastern Europe communist bloc and all that stuff um, and I and, and I think maybe now because Germany's you know basically running the EU and it's just mm. so you know you think of Western Europe and it's like France and Germany especially now with the UK gone <laughs> um, but uh, I mean it is it's very classically Central Europe in 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 so many ways and I think we we need to probably have a little bit more, give a little bit more love or have a, have Germany kind of in our, in our discussions uh, more often. And we, we really haven't. And I thought, I think other than Vienna, oh no, I guess you had a couple of things in Austria, but Austria has been a little bit, but Germany's almost been like completely shut out. So I'm glad you, uh, you got it into the, the loop here. I have much love for Germany, so I'm happy to, to talk about it again in the future. And we can all wear lederhosen when we are doing it, yeah. Sorry, I, I can also do my 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 German acting. It's a little bit more loose, and so that was like a little bit, you know, Dieter from Sprockets. Yeah, this is the time when we dance and talk about Germany. All right, yeah, I was gonna say that's the, the I got I've got Dieter and Hans and Franz, but I'm not really mm -hmm. sure if Hans and Franz were just German or just more like pumped up, roided European guys. I wasn't, yeah, you know, I don't know. Germanic. Uh, uh, definitely. Yeah, I think. Uh, at some point, I mean, I used to be, when I was thinking of festivals and stuff like that for this wish list, I knew you were going to mention a festival. I used to think of, oh, yeah, I should go to the song festival in the Baltics. And that would be something great if, if it happens, if one of us could actually go there and you know, kind of report on it or just have some recordings, because that seems, you know, pretty amazing. But something like that, now you wonder, you know, when, if ever, that's going to run. I, I think even though I live now in Europe, it seems like it's it's just the every year it's harder to get to where you can say like yeah I'm gonna go here at this exact time to see this one whatever whatever it is whatever festival it is timed in because um, uh, it, it's all it almost seemed easier when I lived in the states and I was like well if I'm gonna go to Europe for two weeks I'm gonna I'm gonna plan it so I'm gonna be at whatever I'm gonna be at Sarajevo during the film fest at the end of August or something like that because there's a something I've wanted to check out. And nowadays, like it's just that you're all you were since we always live here. It's like, yeah, but I but but I just happen to be going to this other place in Bavaria at another time. So like I'm going there then rather than go, going there just to see this festival thing. It seems like it it's not so easy 
to to plan these things to show up at a certain place at a certain at a certain time like it used to be or maybe yeah. it's just not a, as much of a priority anymore i'm not sure hmm. well you know it's uh, hopefully when the world returns to normal if it returns to normal we can we may uh have a chance to rethink some of our priorities so we shall see exactly yeah and i mean just uh just to have just to have festivals kind of going on again i think last year the I think I, the, I had tickets for this one wine festival and then it that one canceled, but I shifted my tickets to this other one and that one was like rescheduled. And then by the time in October, it was going to actually finally run. That was like the week week before they were closing everything down again. So yeah, just, just to have, just to have like small lo local festivals, you know, around us that are, you know, um, would be, would be a, a pleasure to have again. Uh, so baby steps. Here's hoping. Yes. Well, I think, Ben, that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode. Um, we have any final thoughts or any, do you have a, a link or a suggestion or anything like that to throw out there? Yeah, I guess for people who um, haven't been completely turned off by the discussion of dark tourism, which I hope nobody nobody would be. I mean, or well, maybe you would be, but anyway, it's, it's not illegitimate. Uh, I think the best dark tourism sites, which you can find out more about this approach to travel and just the really interesting places to go, is www.dark-tourism.com. So www.dark-tourism.com. And you can learn a lot more about this stuff. Okay, sounds good. I will, I will check that out. And maybe there's some places listed there that I've been to that I don't really associate with dark tourism. Mm -hmm. And I'll true. learn. I'll learn that I'm I'm a bigger dark tourism fan than I thought I was. Uh -huh, yeah. Could be. All right, everybody. Thank you Thanks. for listening. Until next time, I'm Benjamin Curtis. Me. And I'm Andrew Valone at Savor the Experience Tours. And tune in next week. Thank you. <laughs>